we invite everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and merciful God in heaven, thank you so much, O Father, for you are so good and kind to each and every one of us, despite our sins, despite our shortcomings, because of your patience and long-suffering. We remain by your side with you as our Father, caring for each and every one of us. We draw strength from your Spirit. We draw guidance from your wisdom that is found in your holy book. We have fallen in love with your holy words. This is why we look forward, O God, each and every time we get the opportunity to study your commandments. Be with us throughout the study of your teachings today. May you send your Holy Spirit to inspire each and every one of us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, may you please increase our faith. May you please forgive our sins and make us worthy before your divine presence. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Okay. Our praises be to God. We're gathered once again to study the words and the teachings of our Father. I'm sure that you are all excited to study God's book, which is the Holy Bible or the Holy Scriptures. Uh, today we're going to continue with our Bible history project. We're in chapter number five. It is about the line of Seth, a story of relationship and reverence. Later on, you're going to find out exactly what that means. Now, before we go ahead and proceed to chapter five of the book of Genesis, just have one announcement to share with everyone. I just want to remind all those who perhaps were not present during the first session or first episode of this project that we are not registering or establishing a new church or religion because there may be those who are thinking, oh, Brother John established a new church. It's called Church of Christ 1914. No, what we establish is a Facebook page, not a church, not a religion, because the church was already established by who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the body. That's us. You are the body of Christ. And so there's no need to register a church. And so the Facebook page, we use that as a platform to share worship service, Bible studies like this, and other activities that we do to continue the work of true members of the Church of Christ. Take note, this Facebook page is not affiliated with the Iglesia Ni Cristo. When we say Iglesia Ni Cristo, we refer to the institution, the corporation soul that is led by the executive minister, Brother Eduardo V. Manalo. However, we believe we are still parts of, we are still members of the true body of Christ, the Church of Christ that was preached by Brother Felix Y. Manalo back in 1914. It just so happens the present INC, we believe, in our own opinion, that they have distanced themselves and have changed directions or paths from the church that started back in 1914. So we choose to follow the direction God gives us as members of the Church of Christ in these last days. Now, have, having said that, I just also want to announce the purpose of the Bible History Project. This is not meant to be dogmatic, because there are those who probably are saying, Brother John is inventing new doctrines that was never taught by the Sugo. We're just simply going through the entire scriptures and learning the history of God's people because we believe it has something to show us and we can profit from studying the history of God's nation. So next slide. The Bible does not teach that we must not add 
or subtract from what the sugo taught. Asap what the sugo taught, right? What did the sugo teach? The Bible does teach that we must not add to or subtract from what the Bible teaches. So according to what we are doing, the reason why we're going through the Bible is because the Bible is the Bible. We need to accept every bit of Scripture because every bit of Scripture is relevant and important when it comes to worshiping our Almighty God. So we have a threefold purpose for why we have the Bible History Project. If you still remember the threefold purpose, right? Uh, next slide, please. What is that threefold purpose? Number one, to learn from the patterns presented by the Bible so that we can have hope for the future. You learn from the past so you can have a better future. You have a better hope. Number two, to find Christ in all of scriptures. Because from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And number three, so that we can see wonderful things in the words of God. Hopefully, in our study today, you're going to see all three, right? But you know what? I'm really, really excited about number two, finding Christ in all of scripture. We've studied Genesis chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four so far, right? Did you see Christ in chapter one? Yeah? Where did you see Christ in chapter one? Next slide, Genesis one, verse one, just a recap. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before God actually created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says in the beginning, next slide, and in Hebrew, it means Bereshit, in the beginning. And Bereshit in Hebrew, when you look at the Hebrew pictograms, what the actual letters mean, we ha it has a message. It contains the gospel. Next slide. What does it say? It says, Christ, the head of the church, will be destroyed by the hand of the supreme God to create a new covenant so that we can be God's children. So Bereshit contains that very message, which is actually Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, contained in the very first verse of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, so Christ was hinted at even in the very verse, first verse of the book of Genesis. How about Genesis chapter 2? Do you remember seeing Christ in Genesis chapter 2? What was Genesis, what was Genesis chapter 2 about? The Garden of Eden. Let's go back to Genesis number 2. Genesis 2 verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four head water. So here God is hinting at Christ. How so? There is a river whose purpose is to water or to nourish the garden. What does the garden represent? Life everlasting or true life. There is a river that waters that garden in the New Testament who becomes the source of life-giving water. Who is it? Our Lord Jesus Christ, the book of John, John 37, 7, 37, 38. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so those who receive the water that Christ is able to give, when we go to him for a drink because of our faith, what kind of life shall we have? Next slide, please. John chapter 4, verse 14. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never become thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give them will become in them a spring that gushes up to eternal 
life. And so the water that sustains life everlasting is our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why even in Genesis chapter 2, we can find hints of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about Genesis chapter 3? Do you remember finding hints and glimpses of the Messiah? I think you remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Next slide, please. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Who is the seed referred to there? God says, her seed, the seed of the woman, and he shall bruise the head of the serpent. Who is the serpent? The devil, who became the fulfillment of this promised seed that was, that was revealed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Next slide, Hebrews 2, verse 14. Since all of these sons, since all of these sons and daughters have flesh and blood, Jesus took on flesh and blood to be like them. He did this so that by dying, he would destroy the one who had power over death, that is the devil. So he was the promised seed of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was also manifested there in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. How about chapter 4? We discussed this just last week, right? Did you see a hint of the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 4? Let's go back to chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 in the verses 4. Then Abel brought the first lamb born to one of his sheep, killed it, and gave the best parts of it as an offering. The Lord was pleased with Abel and his Offering. The Bible says God was pleased with the offering that Abel presented to God. Why? Because what he offered was the first lamb born to one of his sheep. Who do you think was represented by that first lamb? Next slide, John 1 verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming to him and said, There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so hopefully you can see in the first four chapters of the book of Genesis, even at the very beginning, God is giving us hints that there's a coming Messiah. There's a coming Savior that will bring comfort and rest to his people, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we study Genesis chapter 5, I hope you will also be able to see the hint that God wants to show us concerning the coming of a Messiah. Let me see if you can detect Jesus even in Genesis chapter 5. It might be hard. You know why? Because Genesis chapter 5 is a genealogy. Now, before we go to the genealogy, let's go first to Genesis chapter 5, 1 down to 5. This is how Genesis chapter 5 begins, 1 to 5. This is, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. He created them, male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image. He named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. So Adam, after Cain slays Abel, gives a replacement for Abel. What was his name? Seth. And so Genesis chapter 5 is about the line of Adam through Seth. And what I'm going to present to you in the next slide is the entirety of chapter 5. Is that okay? 
the entirety of the rest of chapter five. Let's go to the next slide, please. Like I said, it is a genealogy, a list of descendants. It started with Adam, and then Adam begot who? Seth. When Seth was 105, he had who? Enosh. And then lived another 807 years. He had other children and died at the age of 900. Well, Seth had Enosh. Enosh had Canaan. Canaan had Mahalalel. Mahalalel had Jared. Jared had Enoch. And Enoch had Methuselah. Methuselah had Lamech. And Lamech had Noah. And that's the end of Genesis chapter 5. It's a genealogy, right? You know what? Next slide. There are six powerful, powerful lessons from this genealogy of Genesis chapter 5. You want to learn these six lessons? Yeah? Let's begin with lesson number one. Let's go back to the genealogy. Next slide, please. Here is the genealogy. What do you notice about this genealogy? Well, the one thing I notice about this genealogy. Next slide. You see it? What do you notice? Seth, what happened to him? He died. Enosh, what happened to him? He died. Canaan, what happened to him? He died. Mahalalel, he died. Jared, he died. Methuselah, he died. Lamech, he died. Noah, although it's not there, he also died. Every single one, except for Enoch. What happened to them? They all died. This is why one of the powerful lessons about Genesis chapter 5 is the reality of death. Why did they have to die? Genesis chapter 2, and the verse is 17. But you must never eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Why did they have to die? God appointed death to mankind. Why? Because of sin. What was the first sin? They ate the forbidden fruit, because it is God introduced death to human. Kind. This is why it doesn't matter how much fruit and vegetables you eat. It doesn't matter how many times you run around the track. It's not a solution to death. It doesn't matter how many stem cells you inject in your system. Man has been appointed to die. Not only that, what did God also appoint? Next slide, Hebrews 9, verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment next slide so the first lesson of the six powerful lessons from genealogy of the genealogy of genesis 5 number one we should prepare for the inevitability of death and judgment whether we like it or not there's going to be death if there is death there's also going to be judgment the question is are we preparing for death and judgment you know sometimes some people are still very young like our sisters who are in the front over here, right? How old are you, sister? You're 12. You're ready to be baptized, right? 12 years old. You don't usually think about death, do you? Yeah, usually when you're like 40, you're 50, especially when you're 90, you begin to think about death. But you know what? You should always learn to think about death. Why? So we can maximize the most out of life, right? So that we can make good choices while we are still young. So lesson number one, we need to prepare for the inevitability of death and judgment. What is the next lesson from the genealogy? Next slide. Let's go to the, this genealogy. I want you to look at it. 
besides death, what kind of jumps out at you there at the genealogy? What do you notice? Notice anything? Something that's, that strikes you as strange? Something that's not typical or ordinary? What do you notice? Okay, they died of old age. How old? Oh, that's it. Next slide, please. Yeah. Next slide. Yeah, look at that. Huh? 912. How many would love to be 912? You see the longevity, right? The lifespan? 912. Enosh, 905. Kenan, 910. Mahalalel, 895. Jared, 962. Enoch. I didn't even die. <laughs> Methuselah, 969. Lamech, 777. Maybe he uh, suffered a heart attack. <laughs> right, I don't know. And Noah, well, he lived to go, go past 900 as well. So you notice that during the time of the early patriarchs, their longevity was about nine times ours, right? 900 plus. What happened, however, as time passes by. Next slide, you can look at the chart here, Adam all the way to Noah, 900, 900, 900, right? Next slide, if we keep going down the timeline, we get Shem, all of a sudden drops to 600. Arfaxad, 438, Shelah, 433, Eber, 464, Peleg, 239, Reu, 239, Serug, 230, Nahor, 148, Terah, 205, Abraham, 175. What do you notice about the lifespan of individuals? Yeah, It's dropping, and it's dropping really fast, right? Let's keep going with the biblical timeline. Next slide. Sarah, 127. Ishmael, 180. I mean, 137. Isaac jumps up to 180 for some reason. Jacob, 147. Levi, 137, Joseph, 110, Kohath, 133, Amram, 137, Aaron, 123, Moses, 120, Joshua, 110, David, 70. Hmm. These are relatable ages, right? And then Rehoboam, 58, Jehoshaphat, 60, Jotham, 41, Ahaz, 36, Hezekiah, 54, Manasseh, 67. So it started at the 900s. And then it went to the 60s, right about normal lifespan today. Because of modern medicine, we've been able to lengthen the typical lifespan to 70, 80, and even beyond. But I don't think anyone alive today can claim that they are 900 plus years old. You know, when you look at all the data points, there was a scientist who got all the data points for the lifespans of all these individuals mentioned in the Bible. And he plotted it on a graph. This is what it looked like. Next slide. Look at that. There's the graph. Started at 700 plus or beyond 700. And then all of a sudden, it drops. It follows an exponential curve, right? And that's typical. That is actually a sign that it's a process of decay. Why? Next slide. Because on that graph, when the data taken from declining lifespan for human beings after the fall reflect an exponential decay pattern, it looks very typical to many decay patterns seen in biology. 
a biological decay curve. This is to be expected because if a recent human history is true, beginning with Adam and Eve, created with perfect genomes, which undergoes a process of decay. You see, DNA in our bodies, right? It is subjected to a lot of mutations, and so it decays. Biological decay follows that curve. Not only biological decay, but also physical decay, like radioactive decay. Next slide. In fact, when you see a comparison of the declining lifespan of Noah's descendants and the decay of carbon-14, it's a perfect match, right? So when you look at the curve, when you look at the exponential decay of the aging process of humanity ever since the fall, it matches the decay of carbon-14. That is because biology and even all of creation goes through the process of decay. Why is that? Next slide. Romans chapter 8, verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Everything that's created, whether a biological system or a physical system, everything goes through the process of decay. In other words, it starts out good and it becomes bad. It starts out orderly and then it becomes more and more chaotic or disorderly. The second law of thermodynamics. Everything is in a process of decay. So that's the next powerful lesson from Genesis chapter 6. Next slide. Everything created undergoes a process of decay. Okay, so that's two, right? Let's go for a third lesson from the genealogy of chapter 5. Let's go back to that genealogy. Is there anything else you notice? You look at Seth, yeah, Enosh, yeah, Kenan, yeah, Mahalalel, yeah. Anything kind of jump at you? What do you notice? He have, they have sons. They have sons, yeah. Okay, all of them had sons. You notice two characters there that kind of jump out at you? It's like God is telling us, look at these two people. Out of all these descendants of Seth, there are two people I want you to pay close attention to. You notice who they are? Next slide. I'll give you a hint. Huh? Two people kind of stand out. Who are they? Enoch and Noah. Everything else is just a general genealogy. He had a son. He died. Had a son. He died. But in Enoch, you had additional information. With Noah, you had additional information. You know what that means? It means God wants our attention. It means God wants us to focus on those two. It's because God wants us to learn something from these two individuals. Enoch and Noah. And what we can learn from Enoch and Noah is going to be relevant when it comes to our services to our Almighty God. So what can we learn from Enoch and Noah? Let's begin with Noah. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, 11 to 13, 8 to 9. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was, what does it say? A righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. What is noteworthy about Noah? The Bible says God found favor with Noah, how many here 
want God to find them favorable. I think all of us, right? When God looks at the planet Earth and looks at all these individuals, we want God to say, you know what? I like her. I like him. I like him. I like her. Don't you want God to say that about you? What God said about Noah, don't you want God to say that about us? God said to Noah, he has found favor in my eyes. Why? What was it about Noah which caused God to say he is special? I want to set him apart. The Bible says when the whole earth became corrupt, when the whole earth, when the whole earth and all the people in it became violent, he said Noah was different. You know, brethren, it's good to be different. <laughs> because sometimes as human beings, especially if you're a teenager, how <laughs> I many here are teenagers? It's like the pressure to be the same, right? You're not a teenager, Tita Jane. <laughs> when, you, when you're a teenager, you want to be just like everyone else. It's the pressure of being like everyone else. What do you call that? There's a, there's a, there's a name for that. Yeah, peer pressure. I want to be just like the people of the world. If they're wearing that, I'm going to wear that too. If they have that, I'm going to have that too. Back in the days of Noah, everyone was wicked. Everyone was violent. But Noah said, I'm going to be different. And so wait, because he was different, God said, I love that man. He stood out because of his righteousness, because he had reverence for our almighty God. Brethren, do not try to please the majority. Please God, because his opinion is the only one that matters in our life. You agree? This is why no matter what happens, please our almighty God. So Noah was righteous. Why do we need to also be righteous? Second Peter chapter 3, 11 to 13, when Apostle Peter was going back during the time of the ancient world, when the whole world was destroyed by a flood, this is what he says about the new earth. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will, make, will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth that he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. Apostle Peter says, just like how the ancient world was destroyed by a flood, there's going to be a day of destruction. It's going to be global. However, instead of water, it's going to be what? Fire. The whole world, the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. However, God has a new heavens and a new earth. What will reign in the new heavens and the new earth? The righteousness of God. This is why if we want to be a part of the new heavens and the new earth, we need to choose the side of righteousness. We need to be put right before our almighty God. But how can we become right before God? Let's read the book of Deuteronomy 6, 17 to 18. You must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God. All the laws and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. And you will enter and occupy the good land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. How can we do what is right in the eyes of God? By fulfilling the commands of God. Why? Because if you want to know what the right thing to do is, instead of asking the people around you, you should ask God. And God gave his answer. It's a good thing he had it written down, right? Where can we find it? The Bible. 
And so these are the commands of God. If we want to be put right with God, we need to receive the shedding of the blood of Jesus and we need to obey the commands of God. We need to know what God's teachings are. Noah was like that. He knew the commands of God and he obeyed the commands of God. How else was Noah, how, did, how, how else did he become righteous or acceptable to God? Hebrews 11, verse 7, Noah was another who trusted God. When he heard God's warning about the future, Noah believed him, even though there was no, there was then no sign of a flood. And wasting no time, what did he do? He built the ark and saved his family. Noah's belief in God was in direct contrast, very different, to the sin and disbelief of the rest of the world, which refused to obey. And because of his faith, he became one of those whom God has accepted. What else made uh, Noah special in the eyes of our almighty God? When the whole world was living in sin and disbelief, Noah believed. He had faith in God. How did he prove his faith in God? When God said to him, build an ark, even though he's never seen a flood before, what did he do? He built an ark. Can you do that too? I mean, God is not telling you to build an ark. But you know what? There are many other things God wants us to do. Are we doing that? Sometimes when God makes us do something, it might lead to mockery, right? When God wants us to do something, sometimes we get persecuted. You see, when we want to do what's right in the eyes of God, it's never easy. Because it will require faith. And when it requires faith, it has, there has to be a sacrifice on our when it comes to Noah, he trusted God enough, and so he endured ridicule, and he built that ark. So we know Noah was righteous. You know how righteous Noah was? Ezekiel 14, verse 14. Even if, because God was, has made up his mind he was going to destroy the people of Israel, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, their righteousness would save no one but themselves, says the sovereign Lord, can you imagine God mentioned Noah? One of three favorites, I guess. Noah, Daniel, Job, Frank. Oh, there's a friend. <laughs> It'll be nice, though, right? If you put your name there, right? You got Noah, Daniel, Job, Rosemary. That'll be nice, right? But it's Noah, Daniel, and Job. Noah stood out. So much so God even mentions him in a special way because of his righteousness. And so, if I were you, brethren, we need to do our best to be right before God. We need to show reverence for God. But did you know it's possible to completely obey all the commands of God, but still not be close to God? Remember, what God created were human beings. You know why God created human beings and not robots? Robots can be perfectly righteous. They can obey perfectly, right? But what do they lack? What do they lack? What, can they, what cannot they do? Yeah, they cannot love. Right? See, God wants more than just perfect obedience. What else does God want? Genesis 5, 21 to 24. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. 
and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. And one day he disappeared because God took him. You know, God was so pleased with Enoch. God said, I'm going to take you. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Why? Because Enoch lived in close fellowship with God. You see, what God wants is not just obedience. He also wants fellowship. He also wants relationship. It's like when two people have a relationship. You have a best friend. You have a good friend, right? You want to hang out with that person. God wants to hang out with Enoch. Why? Because Enoch wants to hang out with God. This is why it's not enough simply to have righteousness or reverence. We need to also have relationship, fellowship, a loving relationship with our almighty God, like Enoch who walked closely in close fellowship with God. Well, how did he do that? What does that mean? To walk in close fellowship with God. Hebrews 11, 5 to 6, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God has, had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How can we be like Enoch and have this close relationship with God, walking in close fellowship with him by seeking to please our almighty God? How do you please God when you seek him diligently? You know, there are people who are religious, but they're not really spiritual. There are people who are religious, but they're not really loving. See, what God wants is a person who is loving. That can only come when you have a good relationship with God. How can you have that good relationship with God? You need to have faith. Why? Because God is invisible, <laughs> right? You cannot see God. He's invisible. And so if he's invisible and you seek him out, it means you have faith. That's what Enoch did. Not only did he want to obey the commands of God, he just wanted to enjoy the presence of God. That's what it means. To walk in close fellowship with God, it's not simply about obeying the commands of God. It is about immersing yourself in the presence of God, walking with God. Are we walking with God? That's good if we are. How can we remain walking with God? Amos chapter 3 in the verses 3. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. How many here? I've ever taken a, a walk with your spouse around the block. Do you enjoy that walk? Yeah. yeah. How many here ever took a walk with their boss that they're afraid of? <laughs> yeah. Not a good time, right? You know, when you walk with someone you love, you savor the moment. You like it, right? You enjoy it. Even if you're huffing and puffing because you're out of shape. <laughs> But because you're with that loved one, you enjoy the walk. You delight in the fellowship. See, if we are going to walk with God, there has to be agreement. In other words, there has to be commitment. We have to commit to following the leader. Someone has to lead, right? Guess who has to lead the walk? Is it you or God? If you want to follow God, you have to let them lead, right? You don't walk and say, God, follow me. No, it's the other way around. You got to let God be the lead, and we follow God. So commit and agree that no matter what happens, I'm going to follow God, 
wherever he leads me. Sometimes he might lead us to a rough patch, a difficult path, so be it. So long as you remain walking with God, it doesn't matter what the surroundings will be, it doesn't matter what the circumstances will be, in the end, and even while you're walking with God, everything's good. And so we need to keep walking with God. How can we recognize those who maintain their walk with God? Psalm 16, verse 8 and 11, I am always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near, nothing Nothing can shake me. You will show me the path that leads to life. Your presence fills me with joy and brings me pleasure forevermore. You know, when we walk with God, you can tell. Because you're always aware of the presence of God, even if he's invisible. When you're able to live life like that, always being aware that God is right beside you, that's the best way to live. You know why? Because if you're aware of the Lord's presence, three things happen. You see in the verse, the three things? When you're always aware of the Lord's presence, number one, Bible says nothing can shake you. You see that? It doesn't matter what disease you have. It doesn't matter what calamity you're in. If you are aware of the Lord's presence, nothing can ever shake you. What else? Bible says you will show me the path that leads to life. That's the guidance of God. What else? The Bible says your, pres your presence fills me with joy and brings me pleasure forever. Haven't you noticed the happiest people in the world are not the people who have the most stuff? Happiest people in the world are the people who are closest to God. Because when you're close to God, it doesn't matter what you don't have. When you're close to God, you're going to be happy. You're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. So brethren, let's walk with God and enjoy his presence. What does that mean? Psalms 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what Enoch did. He delighted in the presence of God. And so what we can learn from Genesis chapter 5, the genealogy, next slide, two things from the two biblical characters there. Enoch, the importance of relationship. Noah, the importance of reverence. Should we have reverence? Yes. We have to keep in mind, God is God. Man is man. God is to be worshipped. We need to have reverence for God, respect for God, fear for God because who he is. But also God wants to have a close relationship with us. It goes together. Relationship without reverence, not good enough. Reverence without relationship, not good enough. We need to learn from Enoch. We need to learn from Noah. And that's a powerful lesson that we can learn from the book of Genesis chapter 5. Next slide. So far we have three lessons, right? God wants us to have a relationship with him and to show reverence for him. What is another lesson that we can learn from the genealogy? Let's go back to the genealogy. What else can you learn from there? That long list. Can you see another lesson? No, that's it? No more lesson? Okay, I'll give you a hint. Who's the oldest one there? Yeah. Who lived the longest, but died. Because if you're going to say who lived the longest, we'd say Enoch, right? But who lived the longest, but eventually died. Next slide. Methuselah, 969 years old. He's the, the, uh, 
the oldest man who died, right? The oldest man who died. Methuselah. Do you know why he was the oldest? Among those who died, do you know why Methuselah was the oldest? Any idea? I hope this doesn't show up in the trivia. <laughs> why was Methuselah the oldest man who died? Uh, he was cursed? <laughs> I think he would, be, he would be blessed, right? Well, we get, you know, when we try to answer that question, we have to look more into what the Bible says about Methuselah, right? So what else does the Bible tell us about Methuselah? Next slide. The son of Enoch. <laughs> it's right there. He was the son of Enoch. Okay. So what, you might say? Well, who was Enoch? We talked about Enoch before. He was taken by God. Taken by God. Not only that, there's something we need to understand about Enoch as well. Let's go to the next slide, please. Enoch, Jude chapter 1, 14 to 15. It was Enoch, the seventh direct descendant from Adam, who long ago prophesied this about them. The Lord will come with many thousands of his holy angels to bring judgment on all, to condemn them all for the godless deeds they have performed and for all the terrible words that godless sinners have spoken against him. According to scriptures, brothers and sisters, Enoch, not only was he taken by God, not only did he walk with God, the Bible says, what else did he do? Prophesied. If he prophesied, that makes him what? A prophet! So Enoch was also a prophet of God. What was one of his first prophecies about the judgment day, the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, Jesus Christ. So he prophesied that long ago. But you know what? When he had his son, he named him, what was the name of his son? Methuselah. What do you call him? Methuselah. Go to the next slide. Why do you think Enoch, who is a prophet, why do you think he calls Methuselah, Methuselah? Why not John? Why not Robert? Why not Denny's? Why Methuselah? You know, in Hebrew characters, when it comes to biblical names in the Old Testament, the names that they choose, it has a what? A meaning. It has a purpose. And this is why when you study biblical names of biblical characters in the past, you learn a lot. And in this instance, we can learn something about Methuselah. It comes from two words in Hebrew, right? Muth, which means what? Death, shalak, which means to bring or to send forth. And so Methuselah, it means his death shall bring. You know what that means? It means Methuselah stands for when he dies, that's when judgment comes. When he dies, that's when the flood will destroy the earth. That's why his death shall bring. So when you can you imagine when Methuselah was born, you got to protect him, <laughs> right? We don't want him to die. He has like a sniffles. <laughs> you got to make sure you wrap him up with nice clothes. We don't want him to get a cold. We don't want him to get sick. Because if he dies, that's the end of the world. That's the end of the world as we know it, right? The flood will come because his death shall bring. Wait a minute. What's the proof of that, right? Because all we got is the Hebrew meaning of the word Methuselah. You know, before I found out about Methuselah, I always thought, you know, the names that people give to biblical characters of the past, it didn't really signify that much. But now we can see that in this case, it does matter. 
What's the proof? Let's go back to the genealogy. Next slide. When Methuselah was 187, he had a son, Lamech. And then he lived another 782 years. He had other children and died at the age of 969. So... God gave earth 969 years before he would send what? The flood. 969 years. Let's put that to the test. Let's see if it actually pans out. Is that okay? Is it okay if we do some math? Yeah? So Methuselah, he lived for 969 years. After 187 years of his existence, he had who? Lamech, right? So that's uh, 969 minus, 780, minus 187. You have 782 left. 182 years later, Lamech has a son. His name is Noah. So 782 minus 182, that's how many left? 600. After Noah was 500 years. So you add 500 more years. You only have how many left? 100 years. And so when Noah turns 500 plus 100, how many is that? Okay. So when Noah turns 600, what would happen? The flood would come. Is that what happened? Yes. Is that what really happened? Yeah. Let's find out. Next slide, Genesis 7, 11. When Noah was 600 years old on the 17th day of the second month all the outlets of the vast body of water beneath the earth burst open all the floodgates of the sky were opened because when he was 600 years old that's when Methuselah died his death brings forth the flood his death brings forth judgment it just so happens that of all the people who died Methuselah was the oldest why? To show us the patience and long-suffering of our Almighty God. Next slide. So, so far we have four powerful lessons. Lesson number four, God is patient with us, right? What also should we learn from the genealogy? Remember what I told you? Always look for a hint of Jesus, right? Did you find that there? In, gen in the genealogy, did you find a hint of Jesus in the genealogy? I'll help you out. Next slide. Genesis 5.29. He named him Noah, saying, This one shall bring us relief and comfort from our work and the grievous toil of our hands due to the ground being cursed by the Lord. So we know the earth was cursed by God. However, here comes the one. His name is Noah. What will he do? He will bring relief. And comfort from the toil, from the ground being cursed by God. This was a hint of Jesus. You know why? Because in the Old Testament, who promises and who invites us to have his promise rest? Who is it? Let's find out. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Christ has come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's why the meaning of Noah is comfort. The meaning of Noah is rest. And so even back in Genesis chapter 5, we get a hint of the coming Messiah who will give us rest for our souls. Next slide. So we have six points.
five powerful lessons so far. God hints at a promise of the Messiah. But you know what? If you look deeper, you will find the Messiah even in the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5. Next slide. I'm going to show you something. Okay. The name, and like I told you, the, the meaning of uh, the name is significant, right? We saw that with Methuselah, right? Well, how about the other names? Do you think it's also significant? What do you think? Yeah, right? Adam. Remember, this is the genealogy, chapter 5. Adam, Adam from, from Adam, Seth. From Seth, Enosh. From Enosh, Canaan. From Canaan, Mah Mahalalel. From Mahalalel, Jared. From Jared, Enoch. And then Methuselah, then Lamech, then Noah. These are the patriarchs. From Adam, the line of Seth. What are the different meanings of these names? Let's begin with Adam. Adam means Adama, means man. Right? So Adam means man. Next slide. So Adam. I put their man. Seth. What does Seth mean? Next slide. Seth means appointed. Eve said, for God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. That was Seth. Next slide. So we got Seth means appointed. What's the next one? Enosh. What does Enosh mean? Next slide. Enosh means mortal, frail, or miserable. It is from the root anash, to be incurable, used of a wound, grief, woe, sickness, or wickedness. So Enosh stands for mortality. Next slide. Enosh, mortal. How about Kenan? What does Kenan mean? Next slide. Kenan means sorrow, elegy. Uh, Balaam, looking down from the heights of Moab, used a pun upon the name of the Kenites when he prophesied their destruction. It means sorrow. Okay, next slide. So we have Kenan, meaning sorrow. Mahalalel, what does that mean? Next slide. Comes from two words, meaning blessed or praise. And El, which is common reference to who? God. And so Mahalalel is the blessed of God. Next slide. So we have Mahalalel, the blessed of God. Next is Jared. What does Jared mean? Next slide. It means descend. To descend or to come down. Next slide. And so Jared means descend. Next is Enoch. Where's Enoch? Means to discipline and train up. To dedicate, to discipline, to initiate, to train up. Next slide. So we have Enoch to train up. Next is who? Methuselah. We talked about Methuselah before. It means his death shall bring. Right? Next slide. Next we have Lamech. What does Lamech mean? A root still evident today in our English word, lament or lamentation, despairing. Next slide. So Lamech means the despairing. Noah. What does Noah mean again? If you still remember? Yeah. Next slide means comfort or rest and so when we look at the sentence that the genealogy produces or the message it comes in three parts man was appointed a mortal sorrow but the blessed of god who is the blessed of god jesus the blessed of god shall descend what will he do training his disciples and his death shall bring the despairing comfort and rest isn't that amazing? <laughs> a hint 
of Jesus in the genealogy. You will never look, you will never look at a genealogy the same way again, right? And so the genealogy has a message of the gospel, of the plan of God, so that we can have comfort and rest through the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Next slide. So we have five so far. We have one more. Next slide. When you look at the genealogy, right? Enoch and Noah. What does Enoch represent? Hope for everlasting life because Enoch does not die. What does Noah represent? Hope for comfort and for rest. This is why the Bible says scriptures is given to us so that we can find patterns that will lead to hope. And that is the hope the genealogy gives us comfort, rest, and eternal life. Next slide. So there are six powerful lessons from the genealogy of Genesis uh, chapter 5. We're hoping for eternal rest. We're hoping for the comfort and presence and comfort that the presence of Jesus Christ gives to us. This is why while we wait for the great day of our salvation, God reminds us of his will and his desire. Next slide, please. What is that? God wants us to have a relationship with him. But it's a relationship with reverence for our all mighty God. And when we have this, God has a promise. Yes, amidst all the death that you see in Genesis chapter 5, there is hope. What is that hope? Despite the decay that we see in the Bible, the decay of humanity, the decay of civilization, the decay of biology and everything in creation, there is a hope. What is that? Next slide, Romans 8, 20 to 21. Creation was subjected to frustration, but not by its own choice. The one who subjected it to frustration did so in the hope that it would also be set free, set free from slavery to decay in order to share the glorious freedom that the children of God will have. Yes, creation was subject to decay, but God will set it free. Through whom? The children of God. Who are the children of God? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Romans 8, 1 to 2, 15 to 17. So those who are believers in, in Christ Jesus can no longer be condemned. The standards of the Spirit who gives life through Christ Jesus have set you free from the standards of sin and death. You haven't received the spirit of slaves that lead you into fear again. Instead, you have received the spirit of God's adopted children by which he call out, we call out Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are his children, we are also God's heirs. If we share in Christ's suffering, in order to share his glory, we are heirs together with him. God promises that the creation's subject to decay, its bondage to decay, death, it will be set free. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the children of God who are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? It means to be incorporated in his body. We are parts of the body of Christ. And because we are parts of the body of Christ, because of our faith that we belong to Jesus, our Lord, we have no reason to be afraid. In fact, the Bible says you haven't received the spirit of slaves that lead you into fear again. We must not be afraid anymore. Why? Because you are sons of God. You are daughters of God. We are children of God. Because we are children of God, we will receive the spirit of God. 
that will make us cry out or call out, Abba, Father. During the Old Testament, nobody would even conceive of God's people calling God, Abba, or Father. It was only during the time of Jesus. This is the gift that Christ has given to us. We can be now called the sons and daughters of God through Christ Jesus and be able to call the Father, Abba, Father, being God's children in these last days. Because of this, we will inherit and share in the glory of Christ and be heirs together with Him and receive life everlasting. Let us all stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Almighty and everlasting Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have received contained in your holy book. Every passage, every word, every letter has a purpose that only you can conceive of. Thank you for this revelation. It gives us encouragement. We know what you desire from us. Reverence for you. Lord, we look up to you. We have a holy fear of you. We respect you, O God. We give our life to you. You are our God who created us. We know, Father, you have the power in your hands to do whatever you want. That is why we surrender to you and to your will. We also know it is your desire that we have a relationship with you. That we walk closely with you in fellowship and relationship. This is what we want. We want to be aware of your presence. When we feel you in our hearts, we are not afraid anymore. We are not shaken anymore. Thank you so much for your fellowship. Praises be unto you. Teach us, Father, to endure. Because we know we have to overcome many more things. But we know you are in charge of everything and control everything. And in the end, your people, your children will be your instruments. And everything under subject to decay, you will be able to liberate. Lord Jesus Christ, we call upon you as well. We belong to you. You are our Savior. Lord, have mercy upon us all. Strengthen our faith always. Teach us to walk beside you as well. And may you help us, Lord, to be just like you, that we can receive your spirit that will enable us to call upon our God as our Father. Oh God, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed each and every one of us today. We ask and beg everything, oh God, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.